Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guest is Dan Altman, the creator of SmarterScout.com, who's here to go in-depth on goalkeepers. Onward! Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today is all about goalkeepers on the Planet Football podcast, and our guest is Dan Altman. He is the creator of Smarter Scout, which brings data analytics to the people. Dan, thanks for coming back on the show, and fill me in, or fill our listeners in, on what is Smarter Scout. So SmarterScout.com is a website which brings sports analytics, specifically soccer analytics, to a broad audience really for the first time. You can look at player metrics from around the world. We've got 45 leagues from around the world. We cover almost all of Europe, all of South America's main leagues, Asia. And you can see player metrics for all of those for free with 3D heat maps and side-by-side comparisons, all sorts of fun stuff. And you can even benchmark all of the metrics that you see to one league. So you can say, well, I want to see a Paraguayan league player by an MLS standard or a Bundesliga player by a La Liga standard. All of that is automatic and free and instantaneous. And uh, people have been having a ton of fun for the site with the site, but, but also we have a lot of professionals on the site too. We have people from dozens of clubs around the world who are using it as well. You've worked as a consultant with uh, various clubs and some of the top leagues in the world. Um, you're currently putting together an investment group uh, to buy a team in Europe. Uh, but I also wanted to, to say that we're focused today on goalkeepers. And I guess one question I've got for you before we dive in is, why are goalkeepers so interesting to you? I think goalkeeping is one of the most complex positions, if not the most complex in the game, and also one of the most undervalued. I remember last time I was on here, I think we were talking about goalkeepers a little bit. And we said, well, a good goalkeeper could give you 10 points in a season in a, in a European league. And people responded to that and were like, wow, what, what are you talking about? 10 <laughs> points from a goalkeeper? And yeah, I think people are starting to appreciate that now. I think we have more superstar goalkeepers now. You know, Manuel Neuer, who you covered in your book, uh, was really that one who made the sweeper keeper a, a standard phrase in soccer coverage. But also now we have Ederson, we have Allison, we have Ter Stegen. We have all these great players who are really sort of talismanic. And uh, I think people are starting to understand the power of the goalkeeper, uh, not just for shot stopping either. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into making a great modern goalkeeper. And I'm wondering, how do you approach measuring that? It's really tough. You know, I used to work with a guy named Tony Roberts, who was a successful goalkeeper in the UK and uh, is now the goalkeeping coach for the Welsh national team. he worked at Arsenal for a while as goalkeeping coach where he developed a set of metrics for evaluating goalkeepers, you know, way before soccer analytics was really a big thing. This mm-hmm. guy had a system of about 200 different metrics hmm. that he was looking for when he evaluated goalkeepers that he used as filters to help them to figure out whom they should recruit. 
And it's absolutely stunning because they cover just about anything you can imagine. You know, shot stopping, okay, that's very basic. Then it's all the things about how the goalkeeper is as an outfield player. What is his positioning off the ball? How does he read things? Uh, you know, and, and what is his attitude? How much does he organize the defense? How much does he, you know, infuse his mood into the defense and, and how they go forward? And, and it's incredibly complicated. So, so we have to narrow that down somehow. And the basic things that you're going to see on smarterscout.com have to do with shot stopping, five different types of shots, and then how the player is as an outfielder, essentially. An outfield player looking at attacking, defending, and ball retention just as we would for every other player. We could look at a ton of other things. We could look at long balls. We could look at the positioning with tracking data. But but for those two major categories, those are the ones we're going to focus on because they already help you to filter things down a lot. So... When people say, who are the top five goalkeepers in the world right now? What do you usually say in response? Tough question. <laughs> um, we don't know. No, no, wait. We do know. We do know. We do know. Um, I think Ederson is number one. Okay. Um, I might not have said that this time last year, but now I think he's number one because in terms of both the shot stopping and the outfield play, mm-hmm. he is just excellent. He's, he's definitely top three or four in both those categories. And nobody else really is. And also, you know, he has some incredible skills. Yeah, he, I, was, I was saying to you the other day, he can hit a dime on the pitch from 80 yards away and, and with a long kick. And, and there are very few people who can do that. So I think he's special. I think he's number one. I think Ter Stegen at Barcelona is probably number two. Um, you know, he's German national team keeper, obviously, put Manuel Neuer out of a job, helped that Neuer was injured for a little while. But, um, you know, he, he's a phenomenal keeper. He also is an incredible shot stopper. He also is a great outfield player, especially his ball retention. I think he's tailing off a little bit this season for reasons that I'm not totally sure about. Uh, his defending has been not quite as aggressive. He doesn't dominate his box the way uh, he used to. Um, he was never perhaps as dominant as Ederson uh, or even Allison, but uh, but but I think Tischtegen is probably number two. After that, I think we have to split it up, and we have mm-hmm. to look at the shot stoppers on one side and the outfield players on the others, and and, may, and maybe other things as well. Um, you know, if we just look at shot stopping, for example, that's a, actually more complicated than you might think. You know, Why? Uh, you know, there are people say, well, you know, just look at the quality of the shots that they face and, and compare that to how many goals they give up. And, and the guys who have the biggest difference between those two things must be the best. Well, you actually have to look at the quality of the strikers they face, too, mm-hmm. because a, a guy who's a top, top striker could have, let's say, a 12 percent better chance of scoring a goal from a given shot than a regular striker, generic striker. So um, so that can make a huge difference. And and then you have to consider that soccer is a very different game from, let's say, basketball because it's such a low-scoring game. Right. And the first goal is so important, especially if you're a team that only scores a goal or two per game. You know, if, if you give up the first goal, you've already discounted your points essentially for that game. And so the goalkeeper who's good at stopping the first goal, which is usually a goal that comes from a big chance of some kind, is is you know the 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 goalkeeper that you want. So so sometimes it helps to give a little bit of extra credit to the guys who are good at stopping the big chances. You know the chance. You know the one where the commentator says, "Oh, he has to score." So if we're just taking shot stopping into account, are there particular goalkeepers that stand out from the rest? Absolutely, the guys who stand out. As shot stoppers, especially with that capacity to stop those big chances, are guys that you might not have at the top of your top 10 list, but they're in the picture. Casper Schmeichel. Hmm. Jordan Pickford. Okay. 
Now, Schmeichel's an interesting one because he was the keeper when Leicester won the league, when mm-hmm. Leicester won the Premier League, and they were a low-scoring team to win the league. Compare how many goals they scored versus, like, Man City when they win the league, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it was really important to have a keeper who could lock things down from a shot throwing perspective. Now, he also had often three center backs playing in front of him, so he could focus on shot stopping. It didn't have to get out as much. Um, but another player uh, who sort of falls in that category, who's an incredible shot stopper, is Jan Oblak mm-hmm. at Atletico de Madrid. You know, he also has great defense in front of him. And he's a guy who doesn't come off his line that much. He doesn't go, you know, uh, on, on little forays into the uh, rest of the defending third, like uh, a Neuer might or an Allison might. Um, so he stays back, but perhaps he that gives him an advantage in shot stopping because he can sit and read it while his defenders try and deal with it. And Ederson is up there too. Hmm. So, you know, wow. we, we see Ederson again. But those four guys, you know, Oblak I think has that reputation. I don't know if Schmeichel and Pickford really do, but they're also those big game shot stoppers. Okay. And in, in terms of goalkeepers as outfield players, uh, so not in terms of shot stopping, who really stands out? So we're really looking at the quality of their defending, you know, just in a one-on-one situation, how likely are they to win that or not to concede territory to the opposition? Mm-hmm. And also how aggressive they are. Do they dominate their box? And how well do they keep possession? You know, after they've touched the ball, how likely is it that their team is going to continue to be in possession? And on smartest6scout.com, we, we adjust for the types of actions they're attempting. So, you know, long ball is not the same as a short pass to a center back. And right. we adjust for that. Uh, but the guys who really stand out there, uh, in England, it would be Ederson again and Allison. Uh, Allison is really an integral part of that Liverpool machine. You know, he really is an 11th player for them. I think all of their defenders would say that too. Um, you know, Hugo Lloris would have been on this list a couple of years ago, hmm. but he's tailed off a little bit in the last year or two. We go over to Germany, and it's interesting. Um, Lukas Radeschke at uh, Leverkusen falls into this category. He's an outstanding outfield player. And 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 Leno, Bernd Leno, who was his predecessor at Leverkusen, is mm-hmm. also quite good. I, I wouldn't say he's top this season, but the previous two seasons, um, you know, playing at Arsenal, he, he's been a really good outfield player for them as well. So maybe Leverkusen's sort of looking for that type of keeper. Um, and, and Manuel Neuer, since he's come back from injury, you know, he's 33 years old, but he's, he's doing Manuel Neuer things again. Hmm. Um, go over to Italy, you know, uh, Donnarumma at Milan, obviously big name player and uh, and a good outfield player. Paul Lopez, who left Real Betis in Spain for Roma over the summer, is another one who stands out. And again, Roma is where Allison came from mm-hmm. to Liverpool. So you wonder, you know, Roma's a heavy analytics team too, or at least they have been at times. And I wonder if they're looking for that kind of keeper. And another sort of interesting pairing. Geronimo Rulli, uh, the Argentine keeper, uh, he's on loan at Montpellier in Ligue 1 from Real Sociedad in Spain. Uh, he stands out. And Benjamin Lecomte, who went from Montpellier to Monaco over the summer, is another one. So Montpellier also might be looking for that mm. kind of keeper. They've had two who really stand out. And the last one I want to mention is a really interesting name because he's the only one who really comes into that sort of top 10 reckoning for the outfield goalkeeper but he's not in a top five league. Hmm. And that's David Rajamartin at Brentford. He's hmm. 24 years old. He's actually a product of the Blackburn youth system. Wow. And and he has been outstanding for them this season. Brentford also known a bit for analytics. Yeah, known a bit for <laughs> analytics. And uh, and Raja, you know, he's perhaps not as good a shot stopper as some of these others, but he's only 24 and goalkeepers mm-hmm. tend to peak later. You know, okay. it's more, it, it is about the physical ability, but it's also about the experience. Um, you know, the peak age is later. They tend to retire later. 
you know, at what other position could you have a 40-year-old like Gianluigi Buffon, you know, playing at the highest level at that age, right? I don't, I think it's basically as a goalkeeper. So Martin is 24. Uh, he made an amazing save in the QPR match the other day, which you can see online. Um, and, and we probably have more good things to see from him. Okay. Uh, in terms of goalkeepers who might be overrated uh, once you look at the data, who would that include? Uh, you know, I'm always hesitant to talk about the ones who are overrated. Uh, tends to be some of the ones who are sort of later in their careers. Um, and sometimes it's just that they've they've had a slump for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, shot-stopping skill is something that ha- is, sort of, is sort of the mirror of finishing skill. And those both can be streaky. Yeah. Um, you know, David De Gea for many years was seen as one of the premier shot-stoppers in the world. You know, cat-like reflexes could cover just about anything. One thing that people didn't always notice about him, though, was he was also giving up second attempts. You know, he could mm-hmm. he could get to almost anything, but sometimes he would just tip it in somewhere else into the six yard box. Um, but uh, but he was an outstanding shot stopper, and he sort of declined a little bit in mm-hmm. that in that area, especially in the most important category of shots, which is kicked shots in open play. Right, okay. not headers, not from dead balls, but kick shots in open play. That is the vast bulk of the shots that a keeper is going to face, and he used to be really, you know, top ninetieth, ninety fifth percentile in that, and now he's he's a bit more average. So I'm not quite sure what went on. It could be psychological. Um, you know, he was a fax away from moving to Real Madrid, and he obviously was True. disappointed that that didn't go through. Um, but then but, he extended, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's the market, right? Supply and demand. Um, but there's some guys who are really underrated too. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that. I mean, I, like I look at it in terms of we all sort of view Allison as one of the top keepers in the world now, and even you know, I guess I remember seeing him at the 2016 Olympics for Brazil, and then he sort of broke out with Roma. Who right now is sort of like an Allison type keeper from Allison four or five years ago? Like who you might say, like keep an eye on this guy. Right, he could really break out. Yep. Well, I think that there are quite a few. Um, it's interesting to look over in France, actually, because I think there are a few there. Mm-hmm. Um, Aban Lafont is one guy, uh, Burkina Faso-born player, um, grew up in France and started playing in Ligue 1 at age sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, starting in Ligue 1 at age sixteen. Now he's twenty. And he's playing on loan at Nantes from Fiorentina. He actually played most of the season at Fiorentina in Serie A last season. Um, so he's only 20. And imagine if a goalkeeper peaks at, let's say, 28 to 30 years old, this guy is going to have a huge wealth of experience. And all of that time, seeing shots, seeing plays form in front of you, it just builds the sort of mental encyclopedia that he can refer to to help him with his positioning. And, and and that's just that's why you can have a really talented goalkeeper who's very young and and he's an amazing shot stopper and he's got incredible reflexes and he can run all around the box, but that positioning part really takes experience. So that's what he's going to have a chance to get before you know the age that most keepers are even starting in a top league. Two others: Mike Magnon at Lille and Alphonse Ariola, who came over from PSG to Real Madrid. He's only 26 still. He's always been sort of an understudy. But he's an incredible keeper, you hmm. know, uh, as a shot stopper and as an outfield player. So, so now, hopefully, he gets his chance. He started a couple games. We'll see how much more we see of him. And if I go around Europe, there's just two other guys I would probably want to mention: Andre Onana at Ajax. We got to see more of him, obviously, mm-hmm. with Ajax's run. Um, he's 23, Senegalese keeper, 
very talented. And Alex Moret, who's one who's not as well-known, he's 22 at Napoli. He's sort of platooning there. He started playing in Serie B at age 19 for Spal, which is already quite a high level. And, um, you know, he's, again, quite young, pretty raw, but but I think we'll probably see good things from him. Now, you know, Allison, yeah, his breakout happened when he was already older than all these guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're looking really early at this point. One guy whose name has not come up so far is one of the most expensive goalkeepers in the world, and that's Kepa Rizabalaga at Chelsea. Is there a reason why he his name hasn't come up, or how does he how does he come out in the data? So Kepa's a good shot stopper. Um, he's he's a good player. He's got good ball retention. Uh, you know he 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 has a lot of positives. And before he came over to Chelsea, there were a lot of teams looking at him. Even before there were rumors about him going to Real Madrid, there were Premier League teams looking at him, but not necessarily teams at the top of the table. Um, they, you know, other teams might have thought he would be an accessible signing for them until some of the Real Madrid buzz and all of that. Um, you know, he he was a promising player coming out of the Basque Country, and um, he didn't necessarily seem like he was a superstar. I think, which is why some of these teams thought that they could take a look at him, scout him, and maybe have a chance of signing him. Um, in the end, of course. You know, his maybe his agent did a great job, um, but uh, <laughs> but he goes for a huge fee to a big club, and um, you know, is he ready to be of the level of an Ederson? I don't think he's there yet. You know, um, I, I think that it's going to take some development. I think it was tough for him at first to be in Sari's system, which was quite rigid, and um, now with Lampard, who's probably also a better man manager, he's he's getting a bit more sort of adapted. Um, it helps that there are a lot of young players on that team now, and you know maybe he doesn't feel as um, as junior in that whole setup. But um, you know, I, I, I think he'll be a very good keeper. Is he going to be of the level of some of the other guys? I don't know. One thing, I had a tweet a few weeks ago where I talked about Ederson and Allison and pointed out that these two Brazilians you can argue the two best goalkeepers in the world. Most people would say they're in the top five or top ten. Um, and my sense over the years has been that as many remarkable players as the country of Brazil has produced, goalkeeper has never usually been uh, the position where you imagine world-class Brazilians. I mean, obviously there have been some good Brazilian keepers over the year: Julio Cesar, Claudio Tafarel, um, Dida. Um, and uh, and more, but um, who was the guy who was the freak who scored so many free kicks? Um, I should know this. Well, oh, Rogério Ceni. Okay. Yes, yeah. my mistake. Um, but I mean, you had me ha- thinking Chilavera. As soon as you see <laughs> South American goalkeeper scoring a lot of free kicks, I'm like Chilavera is not Brazilian. <laughs> Rogério Ceni. Sorry, Rogério. Um, but there just haven't been that many sort of world-class Brazilian goalkeepers. And so I'm, I was wondering, like, what was happening here to produce Allison and Aderson? And then I got some response from a friend of mine, Andrew Downey, covers soccer down in Brazil. It was like, oh, actually, the there have always been really good Brazilian goalkeepers. They just haven't always left Brazil. Um, so what is your sense of, based on, on your information, what's happening here with Allison and Aderson and are there other really good Brazilian goalkeepers out there right now? So Brazilian goalkeepers find themselves in a kind of funny position because it can be tough 
for players to get work permits in European leagues unless they're coming in for a huge fee, they've played a lot of games for their national team, um, or you know their wages are going to be very high. Uh, those things tend to help them qualify for work permits if they don't have a European passport. Now, unlike, let's say, Argentines, Brazilians usually don't have European passports. Um, they can come to play in Portugal and maybe pick up a Portuguese passport on the way. Um, we've seen that happen. Uh, Ederson has a Portuguese passport, for example. Um, but um, if they don't have that passport, they're going to have to earn that work permit in another way. Now, the problem is when you're playing international matches for Brazil, there's only one position for the goalkeeper, right. right? So only one guy can play keeper at a time. And usually the coach wants to keep his goalkeeper in place for quite a spell of games. Now, Allison went to Roma for 8 million euros after playing nine matches for Brazil. And that might have been just enough to qualify for a UK work permit, where the rules had recently changed and you needed 30% of the matches for a top, whatever it was, FIFA team, top 10 ranked FIFA team. And I think he would have just qualified. Mm. But I don't know if a lot of clubs were looking at him and I don't know if they realized that he might have sneaked in that way. Mm. Um, Based on the fee that was paid, that probably would not have been enough for him to get the work permit in the UK. Um, But the thing is that if you can't get a work permit for a top league, maybe you could go to a league where it's easier to get a work permit, like in Portugal or in Belgium, they have looser systems. And yet, if you do that, you might get paid less than in Brazil because football's huge in Brazil, right? So those guys, it's a big industry and the salaries are pretty good there, you know, especially relative to some of the smaller leagues in Europe. So some of these guys might not want to go. They're very comfortable starting for Corinthians or Palmeiras every day. Um, and, and so some of these really good keepers probably do end up staying in Brazil. Are there any particular ones in Brazil right now that, that stand out to you? Well, there's a keeper called Cassio who uh, is is on the older side now, but I've always thought he was a really good shot stopper and a really good player. Um, as far as youngsters, there's nobody who's really popped up on the radar yet. Um, uh, there's there's one at Santos who I think is quite good, um, but again, you know that's something that we can all check out on SmarterScout.com and see, you know who who's standing out. That's one of the things that that we really try and highlight about the site is that it's good for picking out young prospects. Yeah, um, let's talk MLS because you know, the best eleven just came out. Buta Manone from Minnesota was on there in the goalkeeping position, um, but it seemed like there was kind of a mixed bag in. MLS this season at the goalkeeper position, and I'm wondering, uh, based on on the data, which MLS goalkeepers stand out to you? Well, the one who kind of hits both of these criteria that we've been talking about, the shot stopping and the outfield play, is interesting and maybe a bit surprising to me, actually, Brad Guzan. Huh. Um, you know, I think he's 35. Uh, obviously, he's been around the block. He had a kind of rough time playing in the Premier League, um, relegated with Aston Villa. And, uh, you know, he's found his level. <laughs> huh. What else can you say? He's he's a good keeper for MLS. He's been a good shot stopper, well above average, and, and his outfield play has been good. He's been well integrated into DeBoer's system. Um, so I think, you know, he stands out right now. Now, that might not have been true a couple of years ago. I think a couple of years earlier, Stefan Fry probably would have been 
without a doubt, your number one um, mm-hmm. over at Seattle. Um, obviously, you played last night uh, in the LF- LAFC match. Um, but uh, I, I think that he's still a great shot stopper, just not quite as good an outfield player as he used to be. Mm. David Bingham is pretty solid all the way around. Then if we look at the specific things, you know, Eloy Room is a really interesting player because here's a guy who came over from uh, the Dutch League. Uh, he is a phenomenal shot stopper but basically doesn't leave his line. I mean, forget <laughs> about his area. Uh, that guy is like, the six-yard box is my home, and everywhere else is foreign territory. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's not a guy who dominates his area, but he's a great shot stopper. Bill Hamid has always been a great shot stopper. He really helped D.C. when they went from worst to uh, the playoffs last season. Uh, Matt Turner is good on, in some types of shops, shots, and... Uh, you know, David Osted is probably coming back to his best. Mm. He had a few down seasons. Um, but after that, there's a big gap, honestly. And then if we look at outfield play, Quentin Westberg, Kenneth Cronholm, and Tyler Miller at LAFC, all really good outfield players. And again, after those guys, there's a gap. So, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose what you're looking for and then add in some of those other things we talked about, those intangibles uh, and the positioning ability that's a bit tougher to look at in the data. I do wonder also too with uh, with the U.S. men's national team. It seems like Zach Steffen has won the starting job. Uh, is that deserved? You know, for me, Steffen is. You know, obviously he's young. He's promising from that point of view. But uh, and and I'm sure that the guys at U.S. Soccer have their eyes on 2026 as well as 22, right? Right. Um, and so he'll be pretty close to peak age for a goalkeeper in 2026. Um, there are others about whom you might not be able to say that. Uh, but he doesn't stand out as a star to me. I don't think we have the quality that we did mm. a few years ago. You know, I mean, the Kellers, the Friedels, the Howards, um, you know, that that was a different era for U.S. goalkeeping, I think. Um, Ethan Horvath, to me, is still a good keeper um, and, and deserves to be in the picture at least if you need to win a game today. Mm-hmm. But if you're really thinking about winning a game in 2026, it's a different kettle of fish. You know, um, uh, Marshankowski, uh, I'm going to murder his name, but, uh, you know, he's, he's played youth matches for the U.S., and, and I think he's actually very good. Uh, he still has time to develop. Um, and uh, so he might actually be the keeper of the future, but you'd want to see him getting some senior international matches as well. Um, we saw... Uh, a former prominent goalkeeper, Brad Friedel, coached the New England Revolution. Uh, he was let go. Uh, didn't go particularly well. Uh, and then Bruce Arena, also a former goalkeeper, uh, came in uh, and got them into the playoffs. Uh, it's an interesting situation. There aren't that many former goalkeepers who have become head coaches. And I was wondering if you wanted to name a few that you, that you know of and, and maybe get into why it is that we haven't seen many former goalkeepers become head coaches. Sure. I mean, the list of the notable ones is pretty short. I mean, you just named a couple. <laughs> um, but uh, Nuno Espirito Santo is probably one of the biggest names right now who, who was a goalkeeper. Uh, you know, Julian Lopetegui, the, the um, you know, one-time Spain coach. Um and then we have some lesser-known names like Nigel Adkins, I guess, and people in England would know who he is, and Emerson Leao in Brazil. Um, these guys are probably some of the most notable, and, and we're pretty much at the end of the list. Uh, there's some older ones if you go further back. Um, 
one of the things that's interesting to me about these guys is they're all 6'2 or under. And huh. uh, Tony Roberts, who I mentioned earlier, he wouldn't look at a goalkeeper who was under 6'2". Um, <laughs> so maybe these guys had something else about how they read the game that helped them as coaches as well as as goalkeepers. Should we expect Nick Ramonda then, uh, another you short know, goalkeeper, to become a, a head coach? <laughs> Nick is exquisite. I mean, it's amazing what he does at his height. And so I would love to see more of him in the game for any reason. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, they're not that many, and and I think I'm going to go back and fall and use my economics background again here. Um, you know, think about a coaching staff at most European and in fact American clubs, right? You're going to have your head coach or manager, a couple assistants, and a head of performance and a goalkeeping coach. So, you know, there are 11 positions on the field, and the goalkeeper gets one position on that four or five guy coaching staff, right? Right. So there are a lot of coaching positions for ex-goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Just be a goalkeeper coach. Uh, now, that takes part of the labor supply out of the market. And then, you know, for guys who want to go on to be a manager, uh, there might be fewer of them who are looking. Um, all of us think that goalkeepers are great at reading the game and can see so much about it and ought to be naturals to be managers. Um, but there just aren't that many. And I just wonder whether it's because there's this other job that's also easier to get. That's interesting. I mean, like one of the things I took from my book project, which looked at the modern game, was that specialization was increasing. And it wouldn't surprise me, actually, in in the years ahead to see fullback coaches or center back coaches or defensive midfielder coaches or forward coaches. Is there like we're not really seeing that quite yet, though, right? Yeah. And, and the strange thing is some of these things involve skills that are really coachable and you would think that there is money being left on the table here. Um, I would say number one for this is finishing, right? Mm-hmm. Striker coaches. There are a few striker coaches who work as consultants who kick around the UK and and, and they'll get hired for a couple of weeks to work with a player sometimes. But my goodness, this is such an important skill, right? You have guys like Jesse Lingard, for example, at Manchester United who can get into position for shots, and they're just lousy finishers. Imagine if Jesse Lingard were an average finisher. His mm-hmm. his value to Manchester United would be so much greater. Now, if he's going to get a new contract, I would suggest that they should also spend a few thousand pounds to bring in a finishing coach because um, they're making an investment in, in him, and, and they might as well get as much as they can out of it. Um, finishing is coachable. And so, uh, you know, obviously there's a natural talent aspect, but there's an aspect that's coachable as well. So I would love to see more of that specialization, um, but it's so hard to get off the mark. I think Liverpool is a club that started to pioneer in this area. They've had throw-in coach come right. in, you know, they, they have guys who look just at set pieces. Um, so maybe not just for situations, but also for specific skills for positions. Yeah. Um, is there any other topic in, in goalkeeping that you wanted to address here? Because I've had uh, a lot I, of fun in this conversation. I think, you know, I would just want to say that because the goalkeeping skills are so diverse, because goalkeeping is such a multifaceted job, there are sort of freaks in almost every area who mm-hmm. we don't always hear about. You know, we talked about L.A. Room, who's, who's, you know, amazing in one aspect and sort of a dud in other aspects of the game. Um, and, and I just I want to highlight a couple guys who I think ought to get a little more attention, okay. all right? One of them is Darren Randolph. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the West Ham keeper, then he was the Middlesbrough keeper. Uh, he's been injured a little this season. He's 32 years old. He's Irish. He's been the goalkeeper for the Irish national team. But, you know, he's never gotten mentioned in this top flight with these other guys. 
So let me lay some stats on you, okay. if, if I may. So last season, Middlesbrough faced the 10th most non-headers in open play out of 24 teams in the championship. All right? They faced a lot of shots. A generic goalkeeper would have allowed 39 goals. Randolph allowed 28. Wow. All right? That's just that main category of shots. Overall, he allowed 35 goals besides penalties where 51 would have been expected. Okay, this guy saved you 16 goals versus a generic keeper. Now, in total, Millsboro allowed 41 goals in 46 games with 19 clean sheets, all with Randolph in goal. 19 clean sheets out of 46 games. They had the joint fewest goals with Sheffield United, and they finished seventh. Okay, Burrow finished seventh, but they scored 20 fewer goals and one fewer point than sixth place Derby. Hmm. You know, that is the influence of a goalkeeper in a nutshell. Right. Okay, and so, you know, Randolph, he's a good keeper in several categories. He doesn't get the attention, but, you know, he's a valuable player. And another one who I'll throw out a shout out to is Sergio Pat, 29 year old Dutch goalkeeper. He's always been a good, aggressive defender. He's a big guy. He dominates his box. And his ball retention's actually gone way up this season. In the past, it's been not so great. Um, last season at Groningen, they had the third fewest goals scored. They scored 39 goals in 34 matches, third fewest in the league. It was, in fact, less than a third of how many goals Ajax scored. <laughs> okay? Imagine. <laughs> less than a third of the goals that Ajax scored. But they finished eighth out of huh. 18 clubs because they were tied for the third fewest goals allowed. And and this season, they're again tied for third fewest goals allowed. And and Pot, you know, he's an, a really valuable outfield player, and he's really good at stopping those big chances too. So, you know, this, these guys fly under the radar, but they're part of these incredible success stories that have just freakish stats attached. Very cool. I, I, do you still believe that a goalkeeper can be worth 10 points in a season? I mean, if Darren Randolph saves you... 16 goals over 46 games. Yes. <laughs> well, Dan Altman is here. The website is smarterscout.com. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Grant, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Dan Altman as well as producer Scott Brody and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. See you next time.